Okay, so who of you felt, just while you're listening to people telling these stories of how God encountered them, you, t- you, are, you just encouraged God is actually very real. Who of you felt like God's very, very real? So you know, this is, if we, if we combine all these stories and we say, hey, we're going to pursue God together in unity. Come on, sound man, what's happening? My voice also sounds a little hoarse. Can I maybe change that to you? So if we, if we start just combining all our testimonies and, and our faith and what God's doing in our lives, this is when we start tapping into the multiplication of our faith, into unity. There's a story in the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 verse 6. So God's looking at the people that's building the Tower of Babel. So obviously they're doing it for the wrong reasons They want to be God. But he says this, and I think it's such a powerful principle of unity. And this is what I hope we can get to as a church when we start pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly together. Because we need to do it together. And Jesus looks, or God looks at them, and he says that nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Because they are in unity. They are doing it together. So God's saying, hey, he's looking out at this crowd tonight. And he says, hey, I hear your stories. Thank you for honoring me. Thank you for worshiping me. Thank you for coming to church. But I also want to lead you into a higher level of my presence so that you can say that, hey, we're going to go and we're going to take this world by storm for his sake, his kingdom. And there's a unity, there's a blessing that's available to us. But we need to just take hold of that. And that's really what, what revival and reformation is about. That's where, where we start. So that we visit or that God can visit us. And then ultimately, we want to see that God visits our society. But he's always going to start with a group of people just laying down their lives, saying, hey, Lord, no matter what, we're going we're gonna to come and get what you have died for so that the rest of the world can know and glorify you, Jesus. So are you guys in for that? Okay. So so many just, just overhearing some of the conversations and the discussion, I can hear there's so many people with just stories of God's goodness and greatness. And why not trust that the people in your sphere of influence experience that, that same thing? Not only one, but the many that God has entrusted to you um, just by friendship and relationship. Okay, so there are two scriptures we're going to look at. Okay, maybe just the elephant out of the room. So I rode my bike on my way back. I was actually teaching with Ina and Walter for the Work for Living on deliverance, and there's a, there's a teaching on open doors. So the devil uses open doors to gain legal right into your life. And then as I was driving back um, to our house, just there in front of Shell, a guy decided to literally open his door, the car's door. And I can't remember if I actually hit the door, but I remember lying on the floor and the stranger coming to me and said, sorry, get your nicht Can I help you? And uh, I extended my right hand and then I felt, well, I was in a little bit of pain and then I extended my left hand and then he pulled me up. So just have a small fracture on my, on my right elbow. But nothing, nothing bad. So we're just going to start kicking the devil's butt with fractured elbows and hoarse voices and everything, huh? It's uh, like Luke came to me and he said, Hey, Armand, it looks like you're taking a hammering. Your voice is gone. Your elbow is broken. Are you all right? 
And I, I, like, I feel so energized. I feel like God is really about to do something. Um, so let's give the devil a hammering tonight. Eh? With whatever issue and thing you're bringing to the table, to say, Lord, I'm going to put that aside, and I'm going to go for what you have for us. I get two scriptures. One, Zechariah 4, verse, Zechariah 4, verse 6. Um, very famous scripture, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And the context there is the king Zerubbabel, he was wanting to build the temple of Israel. He wants to, it was in ruins. So everybody literally, the Israelites walk past the temple and the ruins, and they would see, because that was the core of who they were, the temple, the very presence of God. And it, it wasn't a pretty sight, so just thinking of being reminded of your failure as a nation every single day, looking at the ruins. And then God comes and he says, okay, you will build the temple, but it will not be by power, it will not be by might, but it will be by my spirit. So yes, it was a word for Zerubbabel in that, in that point of time, in that context, but it was also a prophetic word for the temple that was coming. The temple where we are, find ourselves today after Jesus died on the cross, after Jesus made atonement, after the veil was torn, and now we are the temple. We host the presence of, of the Lord. So, and if you, if you look at Old Testament, we often think the, the, new, the Holy Spirit's only a, a New Testament. Um, it's only found in the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. So in Genesis, we know that the Spirit hovered over the earth and God spoke into being creation. Then we see that, that God created mankind and he, he breathed His breath. And that word for breath is ruach, which is also translated into Spirit. He breathed His ruach breath into mankind. So from the beginning, He had this idea that He not only wants to be with people, but He wants to be in people. God wants to be in you. He wants to make His home in your soul, in your heart. He wants all of you. He, just, he doesn't only want to give you a goosebump experience when, when there's good worship. He wants to be in you. But we know because of sin, that relationship got corrupted. So our, the breath that we have in our lungs is actually limited. That's why after the fall of man, we actually, we can only live up to 120 years. That's what's, that's what's happening because of our, even our DNA got corrupted because of sin. So then we see that God through, through the ages, especially in the Old Testament, He makes a plan. Then He sends a man, like a, in Judges, for instance, He sends Othniel and He sends Gideon and He, see, he sends Samson. And he says, hey, I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you can bring back my people to me. I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can bring them back to me. And I, I love the scriptures in, in Judges. We just see there's no law and order. Maybe there's a correlation between what we find in, in South Africa today and what we find back in the day and, and during the Judges time. There's no law and order, and then God will choose a man, and the first thing he will do, he'll put his spirit in that man, and that man will then suddenly become the hero of Israel. It's like Gideon. Do you know where the angel of the Lord finds Gideon? He is hiding in a wine press. He's afraid. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him, and, 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 here, 
and just hear how he addresses this guy that's fearful, that is hiding. He says, mighty man of valor. Speaks to him his identity, gives him the spirit. And we know that Gideon with 300 men killed and destroyed the Midianites and again established God's reign within the Israel community. Then Samson, Samson, every, every boy is favorite character because he had ultimate strength. Imagine you were Samson when you played rugby under 13. Huh? Imagine that. You just grew your hair long. Maybe the teachers wouldn't love like that, but you would have ultimate strength. And where did his strength come from? Not from, it wasn't a DNA ability. It was just the spirit of the Lord that came upon him. I love one of the, my favorite verses when it comes to the Holy Spirit is in Judges 14 verse 6, where it says that the Holy Spirit rushed upon Samson. It rushed upon Samson. And then what did he do? He killed the lion with his bare hands like he would kill a goat or a lamb, the Bible says. And then also says that he didn't tell his parents. I don't know why he didn't tell his parents. <laughs> maybe when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're not always going to tell your parents what you're up to. Because they're not, maybe not going to agree with you. I don't know. So, God, we see this pattern. There is destruction. There, there are people that's missing the point. There is no law and order. God chooses a man. He fills that man or, the, or that woman. By the way, there's a very, very strong judge in the Old Testament, Deborah. And, and the men were looking up to her. She was leading them. Fill them with his spirit. And then he will bring law and order for a period of time. But we know that that was never enough. Because men will always fail even with the spirit in them. Saul had the spirit in him, but he failed horribly as a king. David had the spirit in him. But he went and he, he slept with Bats, Bathsheba and he killed Uriah. He, uh, he's, uh, Uriah's uh, Sorry, he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And all of that time, he had the Spirit of God in him. Just imagine that. So just fallibility all around. Then we see in Isaiah, Isaiah starts talking about this prophetic age that's, that's about to come, the Holy Spirit that's going to come. In Isaiah 11, it talks about the bronze of Jesse, which refer, Jesse is the father of David, which refer, refers to the ancestor of David that will come, the Messiah, and he will be anointed with a spirit. Isaiah 61, uh, Isaiah is prophesying, he's saying, hey, the spirit of the Lord's upon me, and he has anointed me, and then he lists the things that he will do through the power of the Holy Spirit. So now, we can see in the Old Testament God's longing to pour out the fullness of His power on His people and the fullness of His presence. Everything that He is, He wants to live inside of people. If I had more movement with my hand, I would have just be elaborate even more. So, and then Jesus comes and He, he takes away the, divi the division, the the, the wall that separated us from God. Sin, the corruption of our souls. He takes away that by making atonement for that on the cross. And on the cross, the day that he died, the veil was torn prophetically in the temple. So that holy place where only once a year, one person 
in some awkward dress code, would go in there as the high priest and he would make atonement for the people of God. That veil was torn as to say, hey, now I have access to you and I have full access to you. Now you don't have to come to me only. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all of you. Because before that, if God would come and pour out his fullness of his spirit on us, we just would stop existing. We would be like those little mosquitoes around those ultraviolet fluorescent, fluorescent lights in, at campsites. Have you seen those? Where the mosquito just goes around and around. And we just stop existing. We would be like, like those mosquitoes if Jesus didn't come and didn't make atonement. So he made atonement. And then Jesus gives us this massive assignment. All of us, not only the 12 disciples, but all of us. In Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19, he says, Hey, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So now I'm telling you to go and do something. What must you do? You must disciple nations. Baptize them. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And listen here, you will not be alone. I will be with you. And then Jesus leaves. He leaves. He's gone. He's not walking this earth with his sandals and, and healing random people on the streets anymore. He's gone. As a person, he's gone. But we know the story. We know that he then, in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, Hey, you must go, wait in Jerusalem, and then you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. You'll be witnesses. But it comes again. We see the pattern. Old Testament, New Testament. God chooses a person, fills him with his Holy Spirit, gives him an impossible task, and says, Hey, go! And that's what God wants to do with all of you. Impossible is nothing. Adidas stole that from Jesus. But you can only do that if you submit to the truth that we've already seen in Zechariah 4 verse 8. It's not by might, not my might, not my power, not my financial resources, not my intellect, not my skill set, not my network, not my education. Only, only by the Spirit. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, then in Acts starts visiting people, individuals. He touches a soul. Saul becomes a Paul in a moment. He was a guy full of hatred for Christians, killing Christians all over the place. He got full of the Holy Spirit. He changes the world. He writes more books than any other author in the New Testament. Just because, why? Because he met Jesus, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we see that straight through church history. God's looking for people, a group of people. Hey, will you follow me? Will you trust me to touch you to such an extent that you will change? Everything in you will change. You are maybe a shy person now, but when I touch you, I promise you, you will be my witnesses into the ends of the earth. And then God touches people through church history. And then they change the world. There's a revival. It could happen in a church meeting. It could happen in a prayer meeting. It could happen where families just gather together. And then 
all of that power then gets extended and thrown out into the society by the people that was at those meetings. And we see that in a, in a couple of stories that I'm going to tell now. There's a small town in, in Germany called Herrenet. Who of you have heard of this town, Herrenet? So in 1727, just before that, the Moravians, they fled out of Moravia, or a couple of Moravians, and they were Protestants, and they were persecuted by the Roman, Roman Catholic Church in, in Moravia, and they fled to, um, to Herrenhut, and there they found this guy, Count Zinzendorf, and Count Zinzendorf said, hey, you can establish a community here. And then, as with many Christian communities, there's a lot of disunity. So they started off on a very bad foot. So they disagreed on everything, disagreed on doctrine, couldn't really find uh, to love one another. And then they started praying and trusted the Lord for unity because they understood that when they pray for unity, there will be a blessing and then God can send their spirit, his spirit. And then in, in 1727, 13th of August, Holy Spirit came and it fell on parents and grandparents, and children. And from that day onwards, that community started interceding and praying. And that, that prayer meeting lasted, hear this, 100 years, 24-7. And not, not only did they pray, but they also sent out missionaries. Some of you have heard these stories. They came to South Africa, Genadendal, where if you've been to Genadendal, or, or Elam, or to Grayton. Those towns were founded by these missionaries, and they would evangelize the people, the local, the natives in South Africa, teach them about Jesus, even allow them to become educators. My, my wife and I visited the mission station the other day, and in the late 1800s, they already had, had colored principles teaching the kids in the community and a very high standard. Those of you who, who knows Genadendal uh, Furniture, but it's one of the most prominent or well-sought-after uh, furniture in South Africa. It comes from missionaries that came to South Africa, first with the revival and then the Reformation. Then there's the story of Andrew Murray in the 18, 1860s. There were a couple of people that started praying in Montague. And then the revival hit the town of Montague. And then it jumped into a farm close to Worcester. So there was a colored prophet called Saul and the farmer's wife, and they would start to pray. They would start to pray, and eventually, white, black, colored, everybody would flock to that farm to experience the Lord. And when you read reports of what happened there, people said it was chaos, just all over the place, very emotional. But people got touched, and they started transforming their communities. Then a girl, a 14-year-old girl from that community, she went to a youth meeting in town. A colored girl, she went to the to the pastor of the youth meeting and said, hey, I want to give up a song. She starts singing a song, and the Holy Spirit came in that room like a rushing wind. Everybody fell to the ground, started repenting of their sins, and that community was changed. Every night they had uh, intercession meetings, the Holy Spirit would come like that. And just imagine, if you experience that, how much confidence you will have in telling people, hey, listen here, we serve a real God. And from there, they found it, uh, the University of Stellenbosch, uh, Paul Ruiz, the Institute for the Deaf and the Blind in Worcester. All of that came out of revival. People just praying and then asking the Lord to come and visit them. Then another story from Welsh Revival 1904. A 26-year-old man called Evan, or, yeah, Evan Roberts. He, were, he dropped out of school when he was 11 years old. Then 
started praying to the Lord, trusting the Lord for revival, trusting the Lord to, to really impact Him first, but then also for 100,000 souls. Eventually, God touched Him, and more than 100,000 souls got saved. They say during their Welsh revival on Sundays, the soccer stadiums will be empty and the churches would be full. Just because of what God did through one man, 26-year-old, uneducated Welshman. Then there's a story of the Azusa revival. Um, first, William Parham, he started a, a Bible study or Bible school, and they asked his Bible students, so what is the one thing that comes with the infilling of the Holy Spirit? They went for a break. They came back after holiday, and all of them said they believe it's tongues. And then Agnes Sussman in 1901, on I think it was on the 1st of January, she got filled with the Holy Spirit, started praying in tongues, and then spontaneously started playing the piano. She wasn't at all skilled in playing the piano, but she started playing the piano. And from that Bible school, there was a black man with one eye, so still in segregated America, one eye, and he founded a prayer meeting, a church in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, and people would flock from all over the, the province and even all over America to, this, to these meetings. Why? Because the presence of the Lord was so tangible. They, they have stories, testimonies of the fire brigade rocking up at this place, thinking there's a fire just because of the presence of the Lord. It was just so intense. And then from there, people would be sent out as missionaries. And the way that you would be sent out as a missionary, you'd get filled with the Holy Spirit, you'd start speaking in tongues, and then um, people would say, wow, you, you, you sound Mandarin. You go to China, cheers. Oh, you sound Hindi. Okay, you go, to, you go to India. There was no waiting. And they just planted churches all over, all over the world, including South Africa. A guy called John G. Lake was touched by that revival, and he came to South Africa. If you think of the AFM, Assemblies of God churches, all of that came out of that revival. Just a black guy with one eye trusting the Lord to impact him and to visit him and eventually change the world. Then also closer to home, and I know this, uh, this place is very controversial these days, but there was a real revival back in the day. So Kosisi Bantu, 1966. Um, Erlus Stiechen was a... A, a German missionary came to South Africa, and they also just started to pray. They trusted the Lord that the Zulus would be impacted. And then they prayed, and the Holy Spirit came, touched them, and then they started with their meetings. If you read the stories, the eyewitness accounts, it sounds like Jesus operating in South Africa. It's literally blind eyes open up, cancers dissolve, lame people walk out of wheelchairs. Crazy stories. Go and read it up. There's a book called The Revival Among the Zulus. And then even business. There was even a business revival. So God started speaking to them about business and, and using His wisdom to create finances for the Lord. So a lady had a dream and she said in the dream God showed her that there is gold underneath the farm that they were staying. The farm that they were staying. And they thought, wow, it's physical gold. It ended up that they found a fountain of water, and they start bottling water, and today it's called Aquila. Where if you know Aquila? It came from a revival. Then 
there's the Vineyard Movement then. In May 1977, during the hippie revival, there was a guy called John Wimber, and he said he, he needs his church, or God told him, hey, you need to invite this hippie, hippie preacher called Lonnie Frisbee. Uh, you need to invite him to a service. So Lonnie Frisbee pitched up, and he preached a sermon, tell, told his story, his testimony about God, how God touched him. And at the end of the, of the message, he said, hey, for too long, we as the church, we have offended the Holy Spirit. We have not allowed the Holy Spirit to move in our church. But today we're going to say sorry and we're going to repent. And he said, all the people under 25 years old, please come forward and we're going to pray now. So all of them came forward and he prayed and the Holy Spirit came and touched people. Demons were flying out, a lot of mess. But the fruit from that revival was that obviously the vineyard churches that we know today were planted from that revival. But the community was impacted. It's, it's said that I think more than 300 people got baptized in the next six months. Could even be 600 people got baptized. They say a common occurrence would find young people in parking lots at shopping centers praying for people. There's a, there's a photo that I, that I love that I've often seen when you go and Google hippie revival. It's a, a place in Southern California next to the beach. And you just see these, the, the, this magnitude of young people and this baptism service. Probably a thousand people getting baptized that day. All started from, hey, let's trust for the Holy Spirit to touch us, to visit us. And then in, in 1994, there was a church in Toronto in Canada that trusted the Lord for, for a blessing. They trusted the Lord for the Holy Spirit to come. The pastor, John and Carol Arnott, they would just pray every day. Um, apparently they cleaned out their diaries every morning and they would just pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, touch us. And then they, would in, they invited a guy. Uh, he, was, he was an ex-Baptist preacher, really failed in, in what he was doing as a pastor and then he got impacted by a South African who prayed for him. Impartation, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And somehow he received the anointing from the Lord. But he was really a nobody. And he started preaching and the revival came. The Holy Spirit came into the room, touched people. And from that three, or 300 uh, big member church, more in a 10 years period, more than 60,000 people gave their hearts to the Lord inside the building. And that's not to give an account of the people that gave their hearts to the Lord outside of the building. They've tracked two people who got saved and got filled with the Holy Spirit during that revival. And two of them have already led more than a million people to Jesus. So it's a 300 strong church just trusting the Lord for more. The revival came, Holy Spirit came, and they changed society. So we see the pattern. God's looking for ordinary people. Say, yes, God, come and touch me. God, everything that I have is yours. Lord, if, if, if I freak out my friends, if I freak out my family, my neighborhood, I will allow that. Because the thing that I need is your power more than anything else. Because without your power, we will see no fruit in our ministry. Some of you are just dreaming too small. You're thinking God's only going to touch your family. One day, yes, I will be married. I have three kids. All of them will be spirit-filled. All of them will be involved in children's church. Amazing. Yes, it's just amazing. Great if you can do that. But there's more. There's more. We need to say yes. 
We need to say yes to take responsibility for our communities, for South Africa, for the nations. Because when Jesus said, hey, go into all the world, make disciples of all your family. No, he didn't say that. Of all your business colleagues. No, he didn't say that. He said of, of all the nations. Every culture group, everyone needs to be impacted. And it's basically just a yes from you. Say, I'm willing to lay down my life. Yes, you need to count the cost. There's a price to pay. All these stories, if you're going to do your research, all these stories and all these people that were fully after God, devoted to God, received a lot of flack. A lot of, uh, there was a lot of people who didn't like what they were doing, even theologians, even Christian people. I've experienced that in my own family. When my, in our family, we had a revival where, do, where my dad found out that there's a spiritual realm and, and the devil hated him and he started driving our demons in conservative Ingekerk. And, and it was just crazy. We had visits from people um, in, in theology, theology faculties from all over the country. And then they would tell, tell my mom, but hey, your pneumatology doesn't um, agree with my pneumatology. And my mom's like, what is pneumatology? It's in the Bible. He's just doing what the Bible's saying he must do. So, hey, and so there will be a price to pay. But the price that you receive, the price that you get by following Jesus wholeheartedly and the impact that we will see if we follow Jesus wholeheartedly, it will diminish, it will nullify, it will dwarf out any kind of price that you have paid. I used this example in a journey earlier I said, it's like, hey, I tell you, hey, look at my Ferrari in my garage. Say, hey, man, I paid a massive price for that. Can't believe. I'm such a, it's such a sacrifice. 100 rand. Paid 100 rand for this Ferrari. 100 rand. Can you believe? Wow, such a massive price to pay. Wow, I'm counting the cost. That's in a way what, how, we, how we should treat the price that we paid for what we receive in Jesus Christ. We have literally paid a hundred rand for something that's more worth than a Ferrari. How can you complain about the costs? How can you complain about the sacrifice that you're making? If you're getting more than a Ferrari, you're getting the Son of God in your life, the Spirit of God, the fullness of His gifts, His fruits, everything in your life. There's no reason to complain. But yes, there is a sacrifice. But I don't like talking about the sacrifice because the price overwhelms the sacrifice. And then one day, I don't want to rock up in heaven and say, hey God, wow, man, I did so much for you. Wow, I laid down my life. I, I sacrificed family time. I sacrificed finances. I sacrificed ambition. I just sacrificed everything. No, I don't want to have that conversation with Jesus. I just want to say, hey Jesus, wow, I'm with you now. I'm with you now. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just here with you. Thank you for touching my life. Thank you for using me. The little bit that I gave, you multiplied into, it into much. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, can the band come up? Because we know, we're just going to cry out for that visitation of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is really what my life is all about is to cry out to the Lord, say, this is, if you ever going to join my personal prayer time, it's like, thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done, but I know that there's more. 
I'm so grateful for your son. I'm so grateful for the, for the presence of God in my life. I'm so grateful for my family. My kids are serving you. My wife's serving you. I'm so grateful for the church, but I know there's more. Touch me, God. Set me on fire, God. There's so many people out there that's going to hell, and I want to be available for them. Use me. Touch them. Bring them into your kingdom. I want to see the nations change. So I'm, I'm inviting you just also into my calling. But I believe it's a calling for, for everybody that's sitting here. We're we just 150 max people in this room. We, we don't have anything to give to God. But if we have surrendered lives, God can use us. And we have much to give to the world then. Okay, so one of the ways to just honor the Holy Spirit is, is to, to pray, in, pray in tongues. It's one of the most offensive exercises in church. So many people have, have come to a church meeting or told me about a church meeting that they've attended and then somebody would pray in tongues and it would just offend them. Why? Because sometimes the Spirit will offend the mind to get to the heart. And by the way, if you figured out God in your mind, then your God that you are serving is too small. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray in a tongue out loud and just to just also say the, to the Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this church. Then I want you to hear in the Spirit, what is God saying to you? God speaking through me. I know that through, through a tongue. I know that it's not me making it up. Because my first encounter with demons was when I started praying in a tongue and the demon, he looked, at, at, he looked at my dad and he turned to me while I was praying in tongue. He just started screaming at me. I said, no. So I know what I'm saying is, is not from Armour, but it's from the Lord. Okay, so just close your eyes and, and yeah, if, if God's maybe revealing to you some part of what he is, what he is saying. Thank you, Jesus. So if, if you have an interpretation for that, I just love you to come forward and just share with, with the people.
So as Alma was speaking in tongues, I was just feeling that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I just feel we need to share our testimonies more. We need to step out of faith and share our testimonies because it's a weapon against the enemy. Yes, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God is going to use that and turn it into something good. So I just feel we need to step out in boldness and just come back home to him. Amen. Don't um, try to understand my spirit with your mind. The kingdom of God is an unseen realm that you live out from on earth. If you have me, Jesus, as your password, you will live out of heaven on earth. You will live out of eternity that will give you worth. Amen. Just felt that the Lord sees that he, he wants to show himself strong in your lives tonight. And he wants to reveal his glory to you. Allow him to reveal his glory to you. I know you. I've come to bring life and life in abundance. I am in you. You are in me. When you speak, it is as if I'm speaking. You've got the power to heal. You've got the power to set free. You've got the power to love. I've come to give life and life in abundance. Go, take my spirit and move in my authority. As you were talking, uh, I just had this picture of all these um, soldiers standing behind you and coming into alignment behind you. And then I looked and there were troops behind you just coming into alignment like into obedience, you know, standing behind you. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's come into alignment. It's, so the commander-in-chief is always Jesus Christ. God will use, use people. Yes, God will use me. He will use Marsant. He will use Johan at the back. He will use Busi. But if we align in the spirit, then we're all in unity. Okay, so we need to make serious effort to understand what the Spirit is doing, what is He saying. Okay, so let's, let's stand. And I want you to just extend your hands in front of you as if to receive something. And maybe if we can get some of the, some of the facilitators, if you can come forward so long. If you've been on a mission trip or if you're a leader in church, if all of you, if you have been a missionary for a year, you can also come forward. If you're wearing yellow, you can also come forward. <laughs> if your name is Rico, you can also come forward. And Yana. Okay, so, so I'm just going to, we're going to just ask them to come around and just lay hands on you while we, while we pray for this. So I just want you to just open your hands and in your own words, it's, 
it's a simple, a revival just started with a sincere prayer, a persistent prayer that said this, Holy Spirit, come. It's all. If that's, if you can say that with faith, with sincerity, and if you can do it persistently, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Because what you're saying, you're acknowledging that you don't have it all. You're acknowledging that you need the endowment from the Lord to actually do what God has called you to do for the assignment that He has given you. So we're all together. And if you can do it with passion, if you can do it with fervence, please do that. Just cry out now and just say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Just tell, tell the Holy Spirit how much you need Him to do what God has called you to do. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. Thank you that you can baptize us anew. Thank you that there's a new infilling available. Thank you that there is power for us to be witnesses. We just, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Spirits are saying, come higher, call out for more. There's more. Don't be satisfied with your lowly Christian existence. Ask for more. Ask for Him to touch you. Holy Spirit, we just say, come. Kuro Baparesis, Chotere Lala, Shustotera Bapara, 
Kürüm bələlələz Vürtü dəndirə Bəmbulubun bəhtərəsəşşün Dəyə bəbdi Kürüm bəmbududurum bəbdiləndirin Bəbdinin üşüsü çərbəvrəm And as, as God's moving, just allow for him also to convict you of sin. If there's, if there's something in your life that's keeping you from the fullness of God, just allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and just give that over to him. It's just a simple, hey, God, I repent of this thing. Because the moment we start doing that, the moment we start submitting to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he has more way with us. Let's continue just crying out for the Spirit. There's a pressing in that needs to happen. It doesn't come, it's not, it's for free, but it's not cheap. It's for free, but it's not cheap. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's keep on crying. Just say, come Holy Spirit. And then while we're crying, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to send the facilitators around. They're going to start laying hands on people. So facilitators, you can go. Just start laying hands on people. Let's cry. God, touch us tonight. God, we want the visitation that will ultimately change society tonight, God. Lord, rid us of our shame, of our iniquities, of our sin. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We need the freedom. Don't, don't miss this opportunity. God is, God is in the room. Just start crying out to God. Say, God, I want to be touched by you tonight. I want to be touched by you tonight. I'm not going to go home without you touching me, without you showing me how much you have given me, how much Jesus' death on the cross means to me. Thank you, Jesus. If you, if you, if you, if you're in this room and you, you have just a strong sensation in your body, like heat going up all over your body, or any kind of just strong sensation from the spirit, I want you just to come forward because God wants to. He wants to touch you, and you're probably going to be a catalyst for everybody else also to experience the Lord. So, if you're experiencing just a, a sensation in your body, just come forward right now. Just come and stand here. 
And then also, if you can't pray in tongues, we also would love to just pray for you. We would love to pray for you. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to ask again, remember the, the reason for God not giving things to us is never on His side. It's always on our side. He wants to. And one of the big reasons why we often struggle to receive from God is because we think we are unworthy. We think we're not worthy. So I want you just to acknowledge that lie and then we're going to tell that lie to leave our minds and our hearts. Okay, so just pray this after me. Say, thank you, Jesus, that by your blood, I am a son and a daughter of the living God. And by your blood, I am worthy. I'm worthy to receive the Holy Spirit. Say that again. I'm worthy to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Revive me, God. Again, if you can pray in tongues, sing in tongues, let's all do it together. Thank you, Ben, if you can help us just singing in tongues. Let's honor the Holy Spirit and the work that He is doing. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord.
I sense God is 
just anointing people to go out and to, and to change the world. So we're going to keep on just worshiping. If you sense that God's calling you to, could be a mission field, could, could be the business arena, but you just sense the power of the Holy Spirit's convicting you that you need now full, go out, full out for Jesus, no holding back anymore. Then I want you to come to the front and you're just going to kneel and you're going to say, Lord, I consecrate this moment. I can, I can hear your voice. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if I have the resources, but I'm going to consecrate this moment and I'm going to trust you from today onwards. So if that is you, could be a nation, could be a business, whatever God's calling you, come, come to the front and just kneel here in front. God wants to change you. God wants to touch you. And if you, we're just going to carry on like this. If you need to leave, you're welcome to leave. There will be coffee at the back, but I just sense such a tangible presence of the Lord here in front. So let's respect what God's doing. And let's just keep on praying and pushing in. Thank you, Jesus.